My wife and I currently have a three-month-old at home, turned three months as of yesterday. Little Levi is at the point now, as of about a month ago, where he connects the act of crying to getting what he wants. <laughs> Call us what you want. Maybe we're softies, right? Maybe let him cry it out. We do, you know, try to find a good balance there. But, you know, you always want to at least pay attention, right? And you start to get to the point where you understand those cries. And so this kid at about the two-month mark started to get smart. He's like, oh, wow, crying. It's pretty effective. I cry, they come. And so he, here's a picture, right? It's kind of a sad picture. I understand, right? He's crying. Yeah, it's cute, but it's sad. And so this is a picture, like if we were to play the video, right? We don't have time for that on a Sunday morning, but uh, here's what he does. And so he, you know, at this point he's laying in bed and, um, you know, we laid him down so he knows that we're there in the moment and he starts crying. And then he gets to this moment where he stops crying just for a second and peeks to see are you still paying attention, right? And as soon as he sees that you are still watching him, he starts crying again. Now, some of you think that we're bad parents, right? We already know he's well-fed, right? He's burped, you know, he's good. Like, he's, he's fine. We know he's fine, but he just, you know, he wants something. Obviously, he can't communicate. We can't understand, you know, whether it's, just, you know, being held or more attention or bonus feeding, whatever it might be, right? But he wants to know, hey, are you paying attention? I'm crying. Don't you know how the system works? When I cry, you give me what I need. Now, I would make the argument that as we grow up, it doesn't really change. <laughs> You're crying, right? The display of crying might look a little bit differently. But in essence, I believe that we live in a world where we're surrounded by people who are crying for attention. And they wonder, does anybody see me? And oftentimes, you know, we find out too late that somebody has been, been living a life of, of depression where they've been walking around assuming that their life has no worth, no value, that they're essentially invisible. And if we don't get beneath the surface of the reality of people's lives that they're living on a daily basis, we'll never know. And so people are crying for attention. They're wondering if anybody sees them, but honestly, I, what I think they're looking for is, is value. Does anybody see me and see that I have worth? Who will it be that lets them know? How will they know? And so today I really want to narrow in on just one avenue, one very specific avenue that is easy, but in some ways also difficult, that if we practice this avenue of loving the one in front of us, it can, it seems so trivial, right, when you first hear it, but it can literally change everything. And so in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19, we're given very clear instruction of how our posture should be when it comes to our interactions with other people. James says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And if you were to go on that verse, he says, the consequence of, not, of, of that not happening is anger. You're going to be angry. But see, I think you'll agree our instinct is to be quick to talk. Because we need everyone to know our opinion. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I need to, I need, everybody needs to know exactly what I think about whatever issue it is, what, it, what might divide us. Because if I only care about what I care about, well, then I'm going to be quick to speak because, you know, it's what it's, I only care about what I care about. I'll aim to expound my ideas and my ideals onto others, right? Those that I'm in relationship with, those that I'm interacting with, they need to know. I don't have time to listen if my mind is already made up unless my agenda becomes the person over their perspective. And this is the challenge that we have to navigate literally every single day. The person that I find myself in the moment with, right? And as we go through our life, sometimes that person will agree with you about certain issues and sometimes they won't. And it's easy to write off the people who don't align with the way that we live and the way that we believe. 
And we're just fine to kind of, again, surround ourselves with people most like us. And we miss the opportunity to love the one in front of us. It's going to require stretching. It's going to require us to rise above the perspective that we so rightfully believe and we're so convicted by to make the person more important than the perspective that we are aiming to expound upon them. So what if our aim in our daily interactions was to hurry up and listen? I really don't think about that practically. But I'm going to hurry up and listen. I'm going to anticipate opportunities to be present and to give my full attention to whoever God has in front of me in the moment. Why? My primary motivation is for the sake of the other. There's nothing, oftentimes, there's nothing in it for me. I mean, oftentimes, the only reason that we choose to listen is because we believe that this person is useful to us in some way. Whatever attention they can give us, whatever information they have for us, and once we get it from them, then we want to move on. We listen primarily for the sake of the other. To listen is to give the gift of attention and ultimately value. So let me be clear. We show up in the moment to others, not looking to get something, but to give something. Attention that communicates value. It's going to take time. It's inconvenient. (laughs) We're all going somewhere. It's going to interrupt our agenda. I clearly remember about a year ago, I was out of town, uh, kind of in a frenzy. You know, my wife and I are walking through the city looking for a bus stop, and, you know, we know the bus schedule, and so wherever it is, we need to get there quickly. And I remember popping into this, the store that was on the strip there, uh, and I saw somebody standing there talking to somebody else, but I just needed to get information right away. So I opened the door and said, hey, where's the bus stop? I guess pretty rude, rude question, right? Because there are two people talking to each other, and he kind of called me out on it. He's like, you can say hi first if you want. I know, thank you. Wow, thank you. For already convicted. Wow. It was rude, right? He's like, all I cared about was the information that I could get. I didn't care about what the moment that I interrupted that they were having. I didn't care about acknowledging the, their existence even. I only cared about what I could get from them. And so it was a disruption to their connection. It was a missed opportunity for me to recognize the basic humanity, right, and opportunity to at least acknowledge that someone could be useful in any way and in, in thanking them. But I was so focused on just getting what I need and moving on. See, to love another can be a challenge, but to choose to listen is one of the easiest avenues to love. Because all it takes is a little bit of effort. A lot of patience, but a little bit of effort. More specifically, all it requires is the decision to care. Every single time that we're faced with the opportunity to listen to another What's going to drive whether or not that interaction matters, whether or not I choose to listen, is driven by how much I actually decide to care. Is this a gift for the other, this interaction? So you already know this, what gets in the way of truly listening to the one in front of us. First of all, it's, you know, we care about something else beyond that person, right? Could be the TV, almost all the time, the, the cell phone, right? And we believe that we can kind of multitask. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I'm checking this out as well. It could be somebody else in the room. Like, oh, yeah, I'd rather be talking to that person over there. Like, okay, okay, you know, move on so I can get on to who I really want to talk to. So we're constantly disrupted there. But also, if someone is saying something we disagree with, your mind is already made up, and you're just waiting for them to be done talking. We've been there. Like, okay, yeah, let them go on, let them go on. Okay, okay, you're done? Okay, I'm moving on now. Third reason, though, how truly... Truly listening is makes what makes it dif- difficult is talking's a whole lot easier because <laughs> patience is never required. We don't think about being patient in, in our in the way that we talk. We talk as fast as we possibly can to get our point across. We're passionate about it. We escalate. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says, "Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise." 
when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. <laughs> Oftentimes, we want to prove our intelligence with words. Scripture says you can prove how intelligent you actually are by shutting up. Technically, that should be a lot easier, <laughs> especially for those of us that, you know, aren't that smart naturally. It's like, oh, well, I can do that. Like, it's going to take the rest of my life to try to, to be declared a smart person, but I can be smart now, according to Scripture, by just not talking. <laughs> To be a good listener, we must surrender our agenda of being right and making sure everyone knows we are right. It's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Because we want, we want so badly for everyone to know how right we are. But when we do this, it's direct evidence of humility itself. We want so badly for someone to see from our perspective. So what we do, we use a lot of words. We try to control the conversation. We emotionally escalate. We're passionate. And so we... Also, that we can get to the ultimate result of someone agreeing with me. And then when they do, like, oh, oh, okay. I guess that's the fullness of success. That was my aim, right? But if my primary aim in conversation is to persuade, don't miss this. If my primary aim in conversation is to persuade someone without knowing their perspective or story, I'm failing at what matters most, the opportunity to love. I'm failing at loving. Because in my pride that is making me blind and indifferent to that person's perspective, I only care about being right and everyone else just agreeing with me. Because if everyone just believed what I believed, acted like I acted, and fell into place like I wanted them to, wouldn't the world be a much better place? Nobody says this out loud. But this is often instinctively how we think. Man, I wish they'd just get their act together. I wish they understand what's really most important in life. What we're really saying is I wish they'd acted like I acted. I wish they believed what I believed. And then everything would just be better. Everyone just accommodated to my preferences. But do you ever think about the cost of being right? Do you ever think at times there's a cost to being right? Think about, have you ever successfully proven your case to your spouse? There's a direct correlation to proving your spouse wrong and sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Yes, you might be right. Yes, you've convinced them that you're right. But in the end, did you really win? (laughs) Why do we become so fixated on being right, especially when so often the consequence of proving ourselves right actually makes our relationships worse? We see this all the time, anybody that's on social media, the debates that take place are about trivial things, and it goes on and on. It's amazing how much, how much time is wasted. People going back and forth trying to prove their case about whatever. And you never see like relationships on social media debates getting better because of it. It only continues to further divide because we get, become so fixated on being right. But in the meantime, our relationships are becoming that much more fractured, right? However quality of relationship you can have on social media to begin with. But nobody has a story of a social media rant leading to stronger relationships or stronger friendships. Like, oh man, one, one time we, we got in a debate and man, we just really got into it. But after that, whew, we were tight, right? We just felt a connection. We were on the same page. No, the argument gets in the way of the relationship. A lot of time, A lot of the time, the only upside to being right is being right. (laughs) That's it. Working so hard to convince another person of how right we are about something often ends up sacrificing the opportunity to love, which is our primary calling. However, if you decide to listen to someone you don't agree with, and I hope that you do, and they know in that moment you don't agree with them, they still feel valued. They understand wow, this person's taking the time to listen to me, and they already know that you have a different set of beliefs and perspectives. They still feel valued because you've taken the time to listen. To listen 
is to love, to show value. Listening is loving because listening, it's a choice. You don't have to listen. You can walk away at any moment. It's a decision to set aside our agenda of proving we are right in the moment and deciding to make the person in front of us our primary agenda. They're always more important than our perspective. So we must decide what's most important, being right or right relationship. Research shows that the average person listens at only about 25% efficiency. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) Sorry. The average person listens only 25% efficiency, right? Because we convince ourselves, we're delusioned in, in thinking that we don't really have to be all in. We don't have to give all of our attention to the conversation. We can kind of multitask. We have internal conversation going on, and we can, we can check our phone. We can look around the room. We don't have to be fully locked into the person. And so, in essence, the result is we're only listening at 25% efficiency. Every spouse already knows this, right? This isn't new information. After the 9.30 service, there was a guy that came up to me and said, man, my wife really needed to hear that message today. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully they drove separately. She wasn't there, so. um, I don't know if he got it. Here's the deal. Many of us are too preoccupied with ourselves when we listen. We can't get out of our own way to be all in with the person in front of us. Instead of concentrating on what's being said, we're, we're either busy deciding what to say in response or mentally rejecting the other person's point of view already, not even giving them a chance, not even hearing them out. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous according to scripture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he says this, half-eared listening despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. He says the beginning of love is learning to listen. The beginning of love, the basics of love, is learning to listen. But if I'm a poor listener, what I'm essentially doing is I'm rejecting the person in front of me. We don't think about this because it's so basic. Yeah, yeah, listening, got it, got it, got it. But if I choose not to listen, it is a form of rejection. The exact opposite of what God came to communicate through sending his son, Jesus Christ. He's radically inclusive, for God so loved the world. And so the basics, the early stages of loving is paying attention to the one in front of us, listening well. Because good listening, it embraces. It communicates, you matter. Poor listening diminishes the other person. It's, it's almost demeaning, kind of posturing ourselves above. Our agenda is more important, right? I'm moving on, okay, once you're done talking, I'm gonna go somewhere else. On the other hand, good listening invites them to exist. When they see that we're paying attention to them, giving value to them, we're saying, you matter. Whether or not I agree with you is is irrelevant to how how much I think that you matter, how much value I want you to know that you have. If we aim at caring more about the relationship than about being right, what specifically does that look like? First of all, we listen with patience. We decide ahead of time, I'm going to listen with patience. You see, we, our mind works faster than, uh, than we receive words, than, than words, you know, it's, it's our minds are four times, are working four times faster than the words that we're actually hearing. And so that's why we think we can get away with kind of multitasking while we're listening, because tech, in some ways you can. But if we decide ahead of time, we're going to listen with patience, we're going to be slow to speak, our patience reflects a ser- sincere desire to show value. But let me be clear, listening is not a passive activity, right? This might be like a soft characteristic, like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Like, that is, you know, it's not, not anything that I'm, you know, saying, hey, that's my, you know, top three most important things I want to do today. It's not a passive activity where you're just putting your time in. Listening is a primary means to loving the one in front of you. So secondly, we listen with the intent to love. Why am I listening? 
Well, it's not so that we can agree on something. It's primarily so that I can communicate that they have value. Tell the person in front of you, you matter. Even more importantly, you matter to me. Thirdly, we listen with the intent to understand. Maybe your mind's already made up. But when you decide that I'm going to listen with the intent to understand, to see what they see, to meet them where they are, it's a form of love. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Which is what we really get passionate about, man. They need to know what I think about this. I'm going to do whatever I can to passionately communicate that. Scripture says that that person's a fool. They take no effort to understand. Next, we listen with the intent to affirm. We listen with the intent to affirm. Notice there's a difference between agreeing and affirming. Proverbs 25, 20 verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one one who has insight draws them out. It takes time. And we take the time so that we can affirm. It does not mean to agree, but to simply say to another, I hear you, I see you, you matter. Now, when we do speak, because, you know, Scripture says don't ever speak. It says be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. When we do speak, we speak with sincere curiosity, reflecting a desire to see what they see and to get to know their story, their journey. See, the best listeners care, which means the best listeners, I think, ask the best questions. To listen is to choose to, pres- to be present in the moment, right? You're attentive to the person, but to also express genuine interest through sincere inquisitiveness. Now, good listeners, being sincerely inquisitive, that, note that this is different than being awkwardly intrusive. It's because you find their, their, their dark secrets or past interesting, and you're like, oh, wow, tell me more. I'm really fascinated by that, right? And it might be very interesting, but you're not playing detective, saying, oh, man, this is very interesting to me, and that's di- dictating how well you're listening, you're not awkwardly intrusive, you're sincerely inquisitive. When you look through scripture at Jesus' interactions, it's, it's absolutely amazing how he navigated so many of his discussions. Jesus' interactions with people, on 25 occasions, he was asked a direct question that required a simple answer. They asked him, and he could have easily just answered quickly, shortly, and moved on to the next question or next person. But on 25 occasions, of those 25, he only gave a direct response to four of those inquiries. The other 21 times, he replied not with a statement, but with a question of his own, which if somebody does that, sometimes it's annoying. It's like, just answer my question, right? He answered a question with a question. But notice why. Jesus seemed more interested in genuine conversation and getting to know the person than with giving an authoritative answer just to be done and move on. And I've said it before. I, I, it's just it's so amazing to me that Jesus seemed to be never in a hurry. He knew his time was short, Man, if I'm, a, if I'm thinking efficiency above all, like I'm, all right, listen, I don't have time for these one-on-ones, you know, going to people's houses, right? Let's just get everybody together. I'll expound my truth, my opinions, my ideals with everybody in one place. But no, one by one, taking his time, sharing a meal. He showed up to the one in front of him. He valued the relationship over anything else. And that communicated how much he valued them, how much he loved them. Colossians chapter four, verse six says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, here it is, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I've read this scripture many times, some of you have as well, but when I read it with this lens, I noticed the cause and effect. It's very interesting. Leading with grace is the avenue for knowing how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of grace, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't that interesting? I won't know how to answer everyone if I don't lead with grace, if I don't enter into their world to see what they see first. 
Jesus always patiently related to people in a way that led with love for the person. Because perspective and truth always followed love. So he established common ground, credibility, to be heard at all. So to be inquisitive and to ask a question communicates that you care. You're sincerely interested in their life. You desire to know more so that you can better affirm, encourage, and show value. Now there's one question that I believe is the best question you can ask and one that will break down barriers almost every single time you ask it. And I realized the fullness of this when I heard about Mike Rawlings, who used to be the president of Pizza Hut. Back when he was president of Pizza Hut, every single Friday he would call up on his lunch hour two MVCs, most valuable customers, customers that were buying on average 12 or more pizzas a month. Can you imagine? Over 100 every single year. But these were the MVCs. He wanted to thank them for their business. So one time he called up, he tried to call up, took him 10 times to get a hold of a mom in a, in a poor neighborhood in, in Dallas. And by the time he did, uh, he was grateful to connect with her and said, hey, just, I'm, my name is Mike Rawlings. I'm the president of Pizza Hut, which then took more time to actually convince her that this was the president of Pizza Hut calling her because she didn't believe, like none of us would believe. He said, I just want to thank you for your business. Are we taking good care of you? And this woman answered the president of, of Pizza Hut, Mike Rawlings, like, Our ki- my kids love your pizza. You're taking great care of us. And in that moment, the conversation easily could have been over, and it would have been over in most contexts between conversation of a president of a pizza hut, president of a a company, and uh, somebody he's just calling up to thank them for their business. But he asked a question that every single one of us should be asking on a regular basis. He said to this, this woman, what is your story? What is your story? And of course, I'm sure the mom had to be shocked by the fact the president of pizza hut was even asking her that question, wanted to know more of her story. He said, he called, she called him Mr. Mike. She said, Mr. Mike, I don't really have much of a life. I'm divorced. I'm a single mom of five kids, ages three to 11. I work three different jobs. I'm a maid at a hotel during the day. I work at a greasy spoon restaurant at night. I clean houses on the weekend because I want to communicate to my kids how strong, uh, how important a strong work ethic is. And I want to do everything that I can to take care of them. Yes, I wish I had a different context and circumstance and somebody to help me in that. But in the meantime, I'm going to go all out trying to take care of them. And she says, Mr. Mike, I tell my eldest son, whenever our kids, whenever the, the siblings want pizza, they can order pizza from Pizza Hut. And so that ends up being tw- about 12 pizzas a month. And so again, that could have been the end of the conversation, but Mr. Mike, president of Pizza Hut, tells this woman, who's just surviving every single day, so I don't, she, he says to her, I don't want to just tell you you're a great customer. I want to let you know today that you're a great mom. And of course, she's moved to tears, and he hears how emotional she is. And Mr. Mike says to this woman, asks her, when was the last time someone told you you're a great mom? She said, Mr. Mike, outside of my kids, no one has ever told me I'm a great mom. She's moved to tears, and, and Mr. Mike embraces the, the gift that he has of that opportunity to speak value into her life. And she ends the conversation by saying, Mr. Mike, for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell the story of how the president of Pizza Hut called me up and told me I was a great mom. Took time. The president's probably got a lot going on. The fact that he only called two, probably called, could have called five, just made a 60-second conversation and moved on. But efficiency does not communicate value or love. He took the time to ask the question we all should be asking on a regular basis. What's your story? And people open up. And they, you, really? You have, the, you have the time to hear my story? My journey? It's a long story. <laughs> How much love do we have to give? To what length will we extend our time? It's technically inconvenient because we have an agenda, something we're about. 
but will we love the person in front of us? Will they be our agenda more than what the demands of the day are calling us to? So I hope this week, honestly, I hope this week you're less productive in your everyday life. Because instead of getting annoyed by interruptions, you're welcoming them. Author Henry Nowen said this is very difficult since we are preoccupied with our own needs, worries, and tensions, which prevent us from taking distance from ourselves. Remember, we get in the way. Taking distance from ourselves in order to pay attention to others. He goes on, he says, when our souls are restless, and they are, aren't they? When we are driven by thousands of different and often conflicting stimuli, wrote this decades before smartphones even came out, by the way. He says, when we are always over there between people, ideas and the worries of this world, how can we possibly create the room and space where someone else can enter freely without feeling himself an unlawful intruder? You ever been there? We've been on the other side of that, where somebody else communicates to us, kind of rejects us in that. So it's like, oh, I'm in the middle of something. Can't you see we're having a conversation here? Like, you're an unlawful intruder in that moment because you're disrupting their agenda in that moment. Henry Nowen also defined hospitality as the ability to pay attention to the guest. The ability to pay attention to the guest, the one in front of you, what are we doing? What are we called to? We're making room for them. A good listener makes space for someone to be themselves. That's why I said last week, the church family should be the safest, most radically inclusive place in the entire world where people are shocked that we want to communicate value to them, especially when we know their story. A good listener provides a safe, unhurried place so that someone can feel the freedom to express exactly what's going on with them. We allow them to to be themselves, but we must first get out of our own way. Now, again, practically, it's easy for us to think that we're good listeners just because we technically heard what someone said. Yes, I heard all those words that you used, but the result of good listening is found in the response. So I want to just very quickly, as we close this message, give a few examples of careless responses so that we can understand and be aware of what's at stake. One careless response is when you say, oh, that reminds me of something. Someone's sharing something with you, and you're like, oh, well, yes, it probably reminds you of something often, but don't say it. This is their moment. This is their story. Comedian Brian Regan, he jokes about this. He says, if you've ever had two wisdom teeth pulled, don't ever share that story in the context of a group. And the way that he words it, he says, because somebody else is going to come swooping in with their four wisdom tooth story rendering your experience basically irrelevant, right? You might've had a terrible two wisdom tooth pulled experience and you went through some kind of pain, doesn't matter. Somebody has someone, something worse, right, to share, right? Like, oh, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you about what I, well, excuse me, let me get out of the way. <laughs> Another careless response is when you say, I know just how you feel. You might be able to relate. You might've gone something similar or maybe even close to exactly the same experience. But when you say, the reality is, when you say, oh, I know how you feel, you don't. Everybody has their own specific, unique journey and story, own emotions. Another careless response is saying, oh, I've been there. Somebody sharing something with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been there, went through that. This is their story. This is their moment. This is why it requires patience. This is why listening is, is easy, right? But also difficult. Daily challenge. That's why it's a discipline. When you do this, you are getting in the way of the space you've worked so hard to create. (laughs) Let them have their moment, their story. The space exists as a gift to the other. Always think affirmation before advice. In the moment, always think affirmation before advice until they ask for your advice. All of us can practice this in our marriages, right? Us guys, we're good at giving advice, even bad advice. We're like, okay, we're fixers. Here's what you need to do. Always think affirmation, letting them know they have value before advice. 
Know that your presence is more important than your guidance. Your presence is always more important than your guidance, and I think this takes the pressure off. Know that being loving is always better than being smart. Being loving is always better than being smart. And the good thing about that is we're all capable. (laughs) I can spend the rest of my life trying to get smart, but I can love today. (laughs) A fourth grade teacher once asked her class, what is listening? After a few moments of silence, one little fourth grade girl raised her hand. She said, listening is wanting to hear. Listening is wanting to hear. So do we care? Will we care? Will we take the time to care? Will we care about the one God puts in front of us? I mean, may we be people who want to hear so that we can love well, so we can get the basics right. See, Jesus was able to relate to those not like him because he first aimed to understand them. That takes time. But the reality is everyone has a story. So may we be quick to listen, to get to know them so that we can let them know, I see you, I hear you, you matter. And it's all born out of the gratitude of the grace that we've been shown. We know how undeserving we are of God's great love. And so out of the gratitude of having experienced that, we can't wait to reflect it.